Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. I'm the host of the podcast, Cindy House, if we haven't met before. So nice to meet you. Thanks for being here. Uh, Before we get into talking about Hannah Reed, let's talk about how we can become better acquainted with each other. You can sign up for Basic Folk's monthly newsletter at our website, which is basicfolk.com. You can also follow us on social media at Basic Folk Pod. We are a listener-supported operation, and you can make a contribution by going to our website. If you give at least $5 a month or $60 for the entire year, you'll gain access to Basic Folk's bonus episodes called Backstage. And there is a link in the show notes to uh, help support Basic Folk. You can go to basicfolk.com slash donate. I have been wanting to talk to Scotland-born fiddler and current New Yorker Hannah Reed on the pod for longer than Basic Folk has existed. I met her at the very fun camp Miles of Music in New Hampshire, where we laughed our faces off all week, and I was truly blown out of the water by her fiddling and singing. She's just released a new duo album with the Scottish banjo player Michael Starkey, so it seemed like a good time to get Han on. She grew up in Edinburgh as well as on the Isle of Egg, which is a remote island off the western coast of Scotland, and she talks about how living simply as a younger person has impacted her adulthood. Growing up, there was a lot of music in the house in terms of listening to and playing music. Her mom played cello, her sister played fiddle, and there was also a community of musicians on the island playing that she connected very deeply with. She started playing Scottish traditional music at the age of six and cites her biggest influences as the musicians surrounding the trad scene in Scotland. She made her way to America to attend Berklee College of Music in Boston and eventually moved to Brooklyn. Her new album with Michael, Cross the Rolling Water, is filled with old-time fiddle and banjo duets with the Edinburgh-based musician Michael Starkey. The two met at an Appalachian old-time session in Edinburgh in late 2019. She talks about their musical relationship, as well as how Michael only has a flip phone, which is always hilarious to hear about from someone who's like basically on top of technology. Hannah's hilarious, kind, and has an infectious energy that carries from her personality to her music. Before we get into our conversation with Hannah, let's check out a song from her 2018 solo album, Way Out I'll Wander. This is the opening track, Moreland Bear. And then we'll get to our conversation with Hannah Reed on Basic Vogue. A lover of a moorland bear And honest country winds you were The silver skimming rain you took And love the floodings of the brook Hannah Reed, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's so nice to see you. It is a pleasure to be with you, Cindy. Okay, we're going to be covering a lot of ground today. Are you ready for it? I hope so. Yeah. I'm not going to bring up Hip Hop Hannah, just in case you were. I wondered. I wondered if Hip Hop Hannah was going to come right to the surface (laughs) after our last chat. (laughs) 
so you grew up in Edinburgh on the Isle of Eig. So, yeah, I was born in Edinburgh. And then when I was six, we moved off to the Isle of Egg, pronounced like egg. an egg. Yeah, E-I-G-G, like an egg. Okay. And lived there for a bit and then went back to Edinburgh. But Okay. So how long were you on the island for? So we spent a full year living there. I lived with my mum and my sister in a little cottage um, with no electricity or running water. And uh, it was this crazy thing that we did, uh, moving away from Edinburgh and like the normal school, primary school system there. And uh, yeah, we just, we moved off and lived there full time for a year, but we were going there for like three months of the year, every year from when I was born. So yeah, it's kind of like, even though I was, I grew up in Edinburgh, I did my high school in Edinburgh, and mm-hmm. uh, the majority of my schooling in Edinburgh, egg is awesome. Edinburgh is very important to me. The egg is like very, very important as well. Yeah, for sure. I can understand that. I uh, growing up, grew up in like suburban Boston, but my family also has like a, a very rustic cabin in the Berkshires that has like no running water or electricity. So like we would spend like summer vacations there, but never lived there. So I can totally understand that. But I also like that cabin for me has like really impacted who I am and like how I deal with things. Like being dirty is like, okay, I'm okay with like being dirty and stuff like that. So I'm wondering how the Island of Egg has impacted you in in those same kind of ways. Yeah, I mean, good question. Very good question. It's heavily impacted everything I would say I would say that for me the fact that growing up it it wasn't about what tv we were watching or what you know what was going on currently and actually currently in the world as well like I would say we were just like off in our own zone there out in the field playing all day long and as far as like music is concerned there were constantly like world-class amazing musicians coming through egg as I was growing up so like you know it would be like the word would get around that so-and-so fiddle player was coming and I was like down there like with my fiddle on my back (laughs) like ready to play tunes with whoever came off the boat and um just it was just it's just very important for me Uh, an amazing place I mean it's got an amazing story as an island and when we were when we actually lived there there were nine children in the school. So we were all in one classroom uh, with one teacher. We spoke, well, we did Gaelic once a week. Like that was an important part of the whole egg primary school experience. And um, there were 65 people living on the island when I lived there. So, you know, it's, oh, a, wow. it's a tiny community, like really, really small. And mm-hmm. and uh, all of us in the same classroom, just like it, it, everybody got very close and it was it was very safe and it was amazing. But I think there was, there's also a part of me and I'll we'll get into like where I am now and what's going on. But, you know, comparing like I'm in New York right now and going from egg to New York. And this is a convers- this is a question that comes up a lot. Like, how did you end up, you're in New York, but you grew up on egg? Like, well, and, and they are, the comp- world's away from each other. But there's, I just, I, totally. lo- I love the fact that they're so different. And everywhere I've lived mm-hmm. has been so different from the next. And yeah. Yeah, I should have opened with this a little bit about the Isle of Egg. It's a remote island off of the western coast of Scotland. And here's some fun facts I learned on Wikipedia today. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's 12 square miles. I read that the Scottish Wildlife Trust manages the island as a nature reserve. And all of the pictures are like the most dreamy pictures of Scotland you could possibly imagine. Um, And then the estimated population in 2019 was 107 people. Mm. So it's the population is nearly doubled. It's pretty incredible, right? Yeah. You recently went to Alaska, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Where were, did you feel parallels between Alaska and egg? Yeah. 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 And that's, I, I think, yeah, so uh, my partner's from Alaska. So I'm up there a lot and I was up there for the, I was playing at the Alaska Folk Fest last month. And um, so being up in Alaska, the people on Alaska, in Alaska are like very, I mean, it's a very similar vibe to to Scotland, 
there's this like to the west coast of Scotland specifically um mm-hmm. it's hard to explain it's quite like rough and ready but also just like folk are up for a grand old time but also work really hard and like it's just a really it's it they, they just have a very similar vibe like being plonked into Alaska last summer I was you know, this big jam of um, old time musicians. And I could have, if I, there'd been, if no one had been talking and I just looked around, it could easily have just been in Scotland, like on the islands, looking mm. around at like, even just what people are wearing, what people are like, their whole vibe is very similar. And that goes for the same in Louisiana. Like, I feel it's a very similar vibe there. And like Lafayette, like in the, like let's say like the Black Pot community down there, the Cajun mm-hmm. scene is there's like, there's a similar sort of essence in those three places. I'm constantly linking them up. Um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, Black Pot is a music festival and a music camp that takes place in Louisiana that's very fun. And uh, I've never been, but I've seen, like, I've heard enough about it and seen enough videos and pictures to know that I'm missing out every time it happens. And I hate it. It's, well, <laughs> it's happening this year. <laughs> so. All right. All right. Uh, when you were growing up, there was lots of music around you in your house in terms of like listening to music and playing music. Mm-hmm. Your mom played cello. Your sister played fiddle. Is she an older sister? Yeah, she's a couple of years older. Very than influential. And then you were talking about the community of musicians on the island playing. And you said, I loved how playing music made me feel as a child. There was never any question that it wasn't the right thing for me to do. Mm. Can you describe how performing music made you feel as a child and how you relate to that feeling now? Mm. when I was little I just loved I just I loved performing I loved being in front of people with my fiddle and just like I just loved playing tunes I just loved it so much and I don't know I did I think I definitely wasn't the the timid child that was hiding in the corner of the room let's just (laughs) say uh I'm sure a lot of people in Egg would be like, yeah, Hannah was never, Hannah was always in there. And I think it was, I think for like playing, being um, lucky enough to play with so many older musicians when I was so little. And that goes for like going, I went to like, you know, camps and fiddle camps and um, music camps all over the place. And it was just, just like the community. It was just, that was so prominent when I was little. Um, and I had a whole crew of young musicians around me, my age as well. Like there were the, these people that we were all like, they're amazing. And then, but we could all be like, like try and, you know, be those people together. I think if I'd been by myself trying to do that, it would have been maybe quite different, but I, I was just so lucky to have that. And then now I have, mm. I've just like seeked out community in that world forever. Um, and mm-hmm. does, that, does that answer that? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Was it were, when you're talking about having um, peers your own age? Was that on the island? Um, there were some musicians on the island, but more actually in the Edinburgh scene. In the Edinburgh scene, like there was this play, there was this thing which is kind of the equivalent of I don't know, kids. I know it's come up many times in other episodes of yours, Valley of the Moon Festival, which I've uh, camp in California, which I've never been to. Um, but it's the whole generation of my age instrumentalists who were at that, I was at an equivalent called um, the Youth Gathering, which was in Edinburgh, which uh, Maeve Gilchrist, I don't know if you've ever chatted to Maeve on yep. this, but Harp. yeah. So Maeve and I, we met when we were about eight in Edinburgh and became best friends through that world. And there were so many young trad players at that time so it was mostly Edinburgh and then in Glasgow there was just like the central belt of Scotland was just filled with like young Mm -hmm. there was an amazing scene actually growing up and there was a whole like borders fiddler they would all come up for the fiddle festival in Edinburgh that happened every November and it was so exciting it was just like (laughs) the most exciting thing it was um I remember being like, gotta learn all the cool new tunes for this thing. And I think I, I remember that like the sweet spot for that one was when I was like 11 through 15. It was like, it was the most exciting, the last week of November was like, oh, here we go. Like, it was brilliant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You said your dad had like a massive record collection. Um, yeah. So what 
What music of his was really resonating with you when you're young, and how did his musical taste help you determine your own? So um, my dad had a back... My, so my dad didn't play any music. He grew up in South Africa, so there was a lot of African music, uh, which was being which he was playing all the time. Um, and the, the, my dad's record collection was, like, as eclectic as it could possibly get. Um, and that goes for, like, seeing live music from when I was, like, really young with my dad, going to see the most... <laughs> kind of shows like going to see like DJ Shadow and like Manu Chao and all this stuff yeah. and like loads of like dub reggae. Dad loved reggae, so that was like a big. He he he. Um, him and my mom met down in Bristol, which had a big uh, reggae scene down there. And so like there was that, but then also like Bela Fleck, and he was obsessed with the Grateful Dead and Flying Burrito Brothers and all and like Almond Brothers and all of that. Um that whole scene, uh, Jerry Garcia and David Grisman. Um, and he, I mean, and him and a friend of his were just obsessed with bluegrass as well. So that was really what got me into that. As a, that when, I, when, I was, when I was a teenager, I got just completely obsessed with uh, like Tim O'Brien and Bela Fleck and Alison Krauss and all of these people and, and Nickel Creek. I was just like, whoa. This is very, it was, it, was a, it was a friend of my dad's who was like, Hannah needs to hear this music because there was no, at that time, people were coming and playing in the UK, but there wasn't, there were, wasn't the internet. There, you didn't really know, unless you were, you were in these close, like, for example, there's, there's this um, festival that happens, or music, this camp called Sore Fingers, which happens in the south of England every year. It's an old time in bluegrass camp, which... When I was up in Scotland, there was no one that I knew play, wanting to play old timer bluegrass music at all, at all. And so I was like, I've got to move to America. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, I'm sure, in a little bit. But like, <laughs> but, uh, but that was half this, this camp has been happening for many, many, many decades down south. But I just had no idea that it existed. Oh, wow. And I didn't even hear about it until I'd moved to America. So that was, there was this funny thing. It was like, yes. And, yeah, so that that was that. But going back to Dad's record collection, oh, I mean, he got me to me into Joni Mitchell. Um, I remember long car journeys listening to Blue when I was like ten, and it was just the best thing ever. And I was singing. <laughs> what were you thinking of all those lyrics that she was singing? To, to be honest, I actually at that age wasn't even listening to the lyrics. I would sing along with all the lyrics. But I didn't know, I wasn't really, I wasn't really listening to it. I was just singing, like my sister and I singing along to all of the little, woo, of, yeah, of, yeah, in yeah. The, the entire record. We were just, the pair of us in the back of the car, <laughs> just singing to the entire record. But also my dad um, traveled a lot in his life and he spent a period of time living on Crete, the island of Crete, um, down in, well, he'd like basically spent, Quite a few nights, I believe, in the in the uh, caves in which is where Joni Mitchell did, where she wow. and, and like and he used to like hang at the Mermaid Cafe, and so wow. and I I mean for me this dad would be like oh yes I've I've been to the Mermaid Cafe so that became my like cool story when I was like, my dad's actually been to the Mermaid Cafe um, I know it still exists now but but he was there <laughs> he was there in like the seven early seventies late sixties and like I mean who knows maybe. Yeah. I mean, he was there when all those, when it was all happening there. And yeah, anyway, look, that's a little bit of a tangent, but yeah. Did you know Anais Mitchell's parents lived in, on the, I don't know what island they were living on. I did in not Greece, know that. No. But they like would party with Leonard Cohen. Really? And stuff. Maybe they partied with your dad. Wow. That's really epic. Yeah. There's my, actually in, in London, my, so my, my grandpa was a, um, he was an architect, but also a etcher. He was an he was an artist, but um, he he wasn't a musician at all. But he moved in these like cool bohemian circles in North London, and would like hang out with like Sandy Denny, and in these like really and, and and I heard all these stories like in my you know when I was growing up, and I was just thought this was the well. I think at the time when I first heard, I'm like, yeah, whatever, cool. And now it's like, <laughs> oh, Sandy Denny is like one of my number one ladies in the world and uh of course yeah yeah just the idea of my grandpa just like hanging at parties with sandy danny i'm like what wow <laughs> wow 
Um, wow. So yeah, Sandy Denny, Richard Thompson. There was like the whole like folk revival stuff going on in our house. There was also like loads of um, David Bowie, like in a massive way. Dad was super into him and we were always singing at the top of our lungs. <laughs> like family heart <laughs> journeys were the best. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, is your dad still around? No, my dad passed away two years ago. He passed away the first week mm. of the pandemic. He had oh, been wow. ill for like five years. Um, and uh, he, yeah, he passed away um, not from COVID, but from this other thing that he had. And it was, uh, you know, it was, I was incredibly close with my dad's and I, it was a very, very mm. difficult thing. And, um, but, you know, I feel like I, we had an amazing relationship and really like did as much as we possibly could have possibly done to this age. You know, I wasn't like, well, later on in life, dad and I will do yeah. that. Like we traveled a lot together and we had, we were, we just talked about everything and music was such like my, my career is kind of what, like, I mean, I've, I've been told like kept him going like my music and my like this wow. everything going on in my life he got so much energy from hearing about what I was doing what my like best friend all my best friends are just incredible musicians what everybody was doing and he just got he just he loved it so much so much mm. so yeah but dad's yeah so that's been a big thing in my life because that that kind of the few years leading up to that informed you know changed where I was going to live, what I was living in New York before that. And um, so I kind of, for two years, I was doing six weeks in the UK, six weeks in the US for like leading up until the pandemic. So when the pandemic actually hit, I went, I flew back to Scotland on the 15th of March and um, he passed away that oh, yeah. next weekend. I didn't get to see him actually, but it was, I was so glad I was over there. And, and, yeah. and also for me, I mean, I know, everybody said this but just suddenly landing having been so all over the place like I hadn't had a base in it felt like many many years it was kind of oh and here we are and I was back in my little cocoon with my mom <laughs> so yeah that was a that was amazing it was amazing to get that time um yeah um wow wow I did not know all that <laughs> info that's wow um such a, a wild thing to deal with it at the beginning of such a crazy time yeah yeah it, it was it really was and you know we knew it would happen it, it was coming um but mm. for us as a family just it was it was a really 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 hard time for a long time and he he had a very horrible disease and it was very very difficult and we yeah. thought he, there was bits where we thought he would get better, but he, it, there was a con there what it, then it just like declined, but you know, yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I'm just grateful for the time that I put in to come and see yeah, him and yeah. spend. And like, I called him every single day and every single afternoon. Um, and when I was away and so breaking, there's been a lot of like breaking these, um, kind of, that was my mm. routine. So now actually being back in the real world again and being back in New York and not having this thing that I would do at three o'clock every afternoon and not and not having to be responsible for something else. Like my mom is healthy and well and amazing and hopefully that's that continues for you know a yeah. while. But uh it's yeah, it's very been very interesting to navigate the world you know, in this very strange climate that we're in now, it's feeling more normal, but like, it still is weird. And with all yeah. of this, like, it's like, I still, even like today, I was like, oh, shouldn't I be calling? So I just called my mom because my mom, <laughs> you know, she just got into bed. <laughs> I forget. It's also. Right. <laughs> um, what coast are you on right now? I, I'm in New York. Oh, okay, so it's only, so... it's only five hours away. She was getting yeah, to bed. Not too early. bad. <laughs> um, so going back to, uh, when you started playing music. So you started playing Scottish traditional music mm -hmm. when you were six and your biggest influences were the musicians that were surrounding you in the traditional Scottish scene. So can you set the scene for like what that looked like when you first started 
and also how your first exposure to performing still impacts the player you are today. So, okay, so I was playing trad music, but I also took classical lessons. So it, the first bit was actually taking classical for in Edinburgh. Um, I was doing like group classical lessons. There were three of us in a class and then I started taking private lessons. And I would say then I started learning by ear. The whole learning by ear thing was like critical. I loved playing. I don't know if I loved practicing as a kid. And that was a, that was a yeah. big thing. Like I really loved playing and I was always playing, but practicing, mom would be like, all right, like maybe you should like actually practice your scales. I'm like, I'm playing, I'm playing. I just like, I'll get there, I'll get there. Um, so those first, and the first like experiences I had playing were in these groups of, it was this this youth gathering thing that I was talking about before where there were all these young people and we'd go to, we had these concerts, which were actually like super experimental. There was this, the leader of our, the, the leader of our group was called Simon Tumir, who's this incredible um, concertina player. Simon would teach us a tune and there would be like a couple of flutes, two or three harps, five fiddles, like, two baron players, penny whistle. There would just be the whole the whole thing. We'd all be learning <laughs> all different standards, like very different standards, but we all like adapted and there wasn't really a, like a hierarchy or anything. Um, and we would do these concerts, which often involved playing tunes. And then they would involve like being really experimental and improvising and keeping it really fun. And I think that fun thing and like it not having to be super serious from the get go, is something that I, to this day, like really, really try to hold on to. Like when I'm a part of a project and I'm doing it and I'm, and I'm, I'm kind of questioning my involvement in it or what is it? Is it, I don't like the music? Is it the people? Is it my, is it just me? Do I not fit into, when, when there's a question, it's like, and it always kind of comes back to, is this fun? Am I enjoying myself right now? And like, I look back at, you know, the periods in my life where I've, really enjoyed myself playing music and that for me actually having fun in a job or just like a setting is just way more important to me than like mm. than like doing something that's um like a very good gig to do you know it's like right and and, and I know not everybody thinks like this and life cannot always be fun but like let's I, I try to enjoy myself like I really try mm -hmm. to enjoy myself when I can because I mean, that's, I, that's just, yeah, when I'm playing music, like, and if I'm, if I do like a bunch of gigs with a band and I'm not having the, a really great time and if I feel like it just isn't, I'm not the right place, I'm not the right person for the gig, like I'll, I'll flag that up, you know, because I just don't think mm -hmm. not everybody is made for every gig, even however much you maybe musically work, if you're feeling like, ooh, inside this. yeah so yeah do you do you also feel like a lot of that has to do with like listening to your like intuition and your gut feeling mm. about things I've been thinking about that yeah. a lot yeah big lately. time yeah totally I feel like that is and I, I think this is just a, like a, I've had this conversation with quite a lot of people recently um regarding work but also relationships and questioning stuff and because I've I've had my fair share of relationships, fair share of bands, fair share of things that I've been involved with that I know from the beginning it wasn't the right thing. You know, I knew that, but I was like fighting against it. And I know things, mm -hmm. feelings can change um, where you sort of slip into a, uh, um, a situation. can it, it can change and you can adapt and that that's great when it works. Mm -hmm. But like the gut, I really think it, it's a real thing that we've got to listen yeah, to. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a gift, and yeah. uh, you know, it's it takes a lot of work to tap into it, and it also takes a lot of work to listen mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. So let's keep trying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my gut's not always right. Let's be honest. I've definitely been yeah. involved. In, I'm like, hmm, really? I had a read, but but I think it's getting better as I get older. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely for sure. Um, you're also a guitar player, mm -hmm. but you're like, first and foremost, people know you as a fiddler. But how has being a fiddler affected your guitar work? Mm. So um, 
My guitar playing, I, I, I started much, much later. I, uh, I started guitar, actually, my, <laughs> so I went to Berkeley in Boston and I, um, I took guitar for non-guitar principles in my very last year of college, <laughs> uh, which was pretty classic. <laughs> it was actually very funny. Me and Sarah DeRose lived together at the time and I had her, I didn't have a guitar, so I took her, I would take her like beautiful Collings guitar to my classes. And I think the teacher was just always like, well, what's your deal? You've got this like amazing guitar and you, you're rubbish. <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> but anyway, that's not the part. I always think of that, that funny. He would always be like, well, "Why? how come you have this guitar? Ooh. You're uh, like, oh, I live with Bonnie Raitt. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say it came pretty quick to me. Um, guitar. I'm not, I'm no, I'm no amazing. I'm not an amazing guitar player at all. But I think melodies, um, I'm a mediocre guitar player. I think I'm quite solid with what I do, but as like a side guitar player, I have to would ha very much have to learn parts. But within within my own thing, my own playing is very like melodic, and and I think my tune, the tunes that are constantly floating around my head, like the fiddle tunes, definitely weave themselves into my playing. So, um, you know, if I'm singing. I feel like between my phrases, I've also often got like some kind of fiddle-esque line that will like weave its way in. Um, there was like a point where it kind of clicked for me and it feels a lot, if it suddenly clicked. I actually think it took like a, a couple of years, a bit wonky and then it, then it really clicked. Um, and that was just from playing out. It wasn't from sitting in my room practicing. It was like just booking a bunch of gigs and getting on with it. Yeah, just like you, you learned it because you had to. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it was, and yeah, and also like I, I knew, <laughs> I knew that I wanted didn't. When I first moved over here, I didn't. I was very into the idea of being like a fiddle player, singer, and accompanying my vocals on fiddle, and I did that for a while. It just, but it never felt like me. And I know so many people who do it so brilliantly. Mm. Bruce Mosky, Laura Cortese, and so many people are like incredible at it. And it was just never my thing. So I was like, right, got to get on this guitar. Like, why have I waited till I, you know, I was like 24. I was like, why did I wait so long? But, you know, it, yeah, it, yeah. it just it is what it is. You uh, have been educated. Your musical education took place at first in community then you went to study at the City of Edinburgh Music School, the American School of Modern Music in Paris, and of course, Berkeley, which is a lot of school. So where did you fall when it came to like being overly studious and academic about music versus like keeping that original kind of community vibe that you started off on growing up in Scotland? Mm. I would say right from the... Uh get-go like I was doing all of this training uh but also I was always playing with people at the same time like it like at school music was my thing let's just say I didn't really throw myself too hard into the academics at all <laughs> uh so let's just uh yeah I I really like my music the music school which is um I was there from 11 through 18 it was a full-time music high school which you do all the other subjects as well it's attached to like a normal school but it has this amazing school um it was like this council the council paid for it and it was just this like incredible school it's where Maeve nice. it's where Maeve went as well and it was just like it was it was amazing we had amazing opportunities and like got to play for everybody when they'd come to it was just like a really cool thing fiddle and classical violin and piano and jazz singing which was what I ended up doing in Paris um but like I, I I knew that I always wanted to play fiddle so like I was at the weekends I was always playing fiddle music with people I was always playing tunes I wasn't I can't say I was at home studying um and then <laughs> uh like friends of mine who were like yes I was a uh, you know oh this and this and this and on, on on my violin and my piano growing up and then I and I also got these grades and I, I was in math no 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 I'm just like I'm sorry I, I just was straight I was either like painting in the art department or I was playing music <laughs> or like trying to like I was um sit, I used to sit in the practice rooms 
and learn jazz standards and sing and play jazz standards on the piano. And uh, those are the, the good old days. Um, but then in Paris, yeah. again, it was just about, I, I, was, I did a jazz a diploma there in jazz vocals, which was a different lifetime of me. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh, I was really, really into jazz singing for a while. I think that was, uh, yeah, I loved all the, the old greats. And I also loved like Amy Winehouse and Erica Badu and all like the crossover, you know, R&B and hip hop and all of that and that kind of crossover jazz stuff. And I think at that point I was like, I'm going to put a fiddle to the side and I'm just going to do this. Um, so there are old school Hannah Reed EPs floating around of that stuff, which I actually do not have a copy of, but they are... I'm sure they're pretty hilarious. Um, I still oh, love wow. it. I still really love all that music, but it was not really for me. Um, and actually, when I came over to um, Berkeley, my original scholarship was for jazz vocals. And then I got there and I was like, actually, I want to be in the string department. And so I, re yeah. I had to wait another year and I re-auditioned and, and then I was in the string department for four years. I mean, it's a good spot to be in if you're trying to get back into fiddle because the, the Celtic bluegrass old times oh. um, community is excellent it in was, that area. Oh, it's just, it was amazing. And it was, I mean, when I was in France, that was when I really got into listening to Crooked Still and uh Alison Krauss in a big way and like the Ducks and all these bands and and I was like right well Crooked Still are there and you know all of these other musicians are there right now I think it was like Hanukkah was there and Natalie Haas was had just moved or mm. was just moving or there was there were people there was a scene there and then the year I moved happened to be the year that just like the entire it just that was the year it felt like that everybody mm. moved was there. it 2007 yeah 2008 2007 yeah yeah that was sadly that was the year I moved away oh, from really? Boston <laughs> that's crazy yeah where did you move in September of 2007 yeah is that yeah. when is that when you moved away I moved in May Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. I moved in May of 2007, so ships in the night. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, actually, I wondered why I'd never met you until I met you at Miles of Music. I don't think I had met you in person. I remember Dietrich that's, talking about yeah. you for years, and I was like, how come I've not met this, Cindy? Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so, and then, yeah, that year I came, it was just, it was bonkers. And then from, over those four years, it just... It was such an incredible time. And again, it was just all about, for me, I, I, I loved Berkeley. Like it, it had its moments where I was like, oh God, I don't want to do this. But I also, I really, it was, I loved it. I really loved it. Like, yeah. and it was never, yeah. I don't want to do this. It was just more like, oh, can't bother doing this paper because I'm, I'm here to play music and I'm not really so into writing a paper on whatever, yeah. you know. Oh, uh, yeah. But that I, resonates with me uh, going to – I went to Emerson down the street mm, from Berkeley, mm -hmm. and all I wanted to do was go to the radio station mm. to, like, you know, do work or, like, interview people or, like, watch people be interviewed. And I remember one time this, like, professor who I always got an A in his class. One year I took an 8 a.m. class from him, which was really early for Emerson kids. And I went to the radio station so many times because the – uh, show that I worked on was in the morning. So like, you know, musicians would be stopping by and I would skip his class to go to the radio station. Mm. So instead of giving me an A, he gave me a B. And he oh. was like, I would have given you an A, but you just never came to class. And I was oh. like, well, that's fine. You're like, look at me now. Look at me now, yeah. sir. <laughs> yeah. Have I'll you hold listened that over to Basic head. Folk? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's the best. Maurice Matho. He's still at Emerson. Oh, legend. Total legend. Uh, so you eventually ma made your way to Brooklyn. Oh, is there anything else that you wanted to say about Berkeley times? Oh, no, just that, that. That I mean, it was, for me, I met so many people, played so much music. Like, there was this apartment on Hemingway Street that we, like, it was like the, it was, it was Dominic Leslie, the mandolin player's place. And we just, I mean, the house would shake, like, with the amount of players that were in that house. Like they lived on the top floor. And at times I'm sure there were about, 
I don't know, at least like 25 musicians in a circle playing tunes. And we would just be jumping up and down. I mean, it was, it was, I'm sure there's been so many people that were, have been on your show that were in that house. Uh, like we've had, in there was a circle. E- yeah, everyone was there <laughs> and it was so amazing. And there, and also just like serious bonding. Like, I mean, I, I feel so cradled by that world. Like, and, and, and moving down to New York from there, it was kind of a no brainer for me. I was like, I didn't, wasn't too keen on moving out West to LA. It was kind of like LA or Nashville or New York were the main places that folk went from mm-hmm. school or, you know, North Portland or, but I, I knew I wanted to live in a big, big city for a bit at least and uh, had community right away. And and it wasn't just in the string world. Like I did all sorts of stuff in the world music scene. And, you know, I had a lot of people all across the board and yeah, just moved down right away um, in that August and was straight into living in a house with four girls and four boyfriends and in this tiny place that we, I walked past actually recently oh, and we were like, what were we doing? Like it was, it was honestly the worst apartment I've ever seen. I mean, I can't, <laughs> I can't believe it, but there were so, so many amazing musicians lived in that house over the course of the four years. It was wow. so epic. Yeah. When you moved to New York and set yourself up, it sounds like you had a lot of, a lot of friends that, cause I think there's like, there can be a really natural migration for musicians in Boston to make their way to New York eventually. So when did you, can you talk about when it finally felt like your town? Mm. So I would, so when I first got there, I was basically taking every gig that came my way and which meant leaving loads. And I was just like, ah, I want to, at that point I was like, I just want to be known as a New York based fiddle player and singer. Mm. I really want that. Like, I really, really want that. And I was just never around and never in New York. So I was never asked to do stuff that was like in the city. I, I like was desperate for a regular gig in the city. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. at that time, I was just like, I want to play Sunnies every Tuesday. Or like, I just wanted to have a regular thing. And I didn't have that for a while. And then I was just like, right, well, the only way I'm going to really be able to make money and live here is if I do something additional to playing shows. So I actually became a a music nanny in Manhattan for, and I was on and off doing that job for like six years. So I would do like music basically with this family that were just super into that. And I, and it, and it meant that like, I would work the afternoons at their house. I'd never, didn't live with them. I still lived in my apartment, but I would go up a few afternoons a week, be up there with them. I was like teaching and doing stuff in the morning. And that at night I was playing, sh- I was playing shows basically every single night of the week in New York and then going away at the weekends. But I was like very present in the week and then I'm doing this in the afternoon and just like running around the city and like teaching on the East side, teaching on the West side, rehearsal and wherever and Brooklyn. Like, I just, I felt like this is New York. I just, I like, at that point, I just felt, I was like, what, 26, 25, 26. I had so much energy and I was like, this is the best. Honestly, there's no way I could do that now. There's absolutely no way. I I am like, (laughs) there's no way. But I, I look back at being, yeah, 25 and like running around and playing shows every night in the city and it was so amazing it was such an a, such a special time that like I was exhausted I was absolutely exhausted but I felt like such I was like part of the YMCA I was like swimming every morning I was like I just was such a like I just was like thriving for this community and I had it like right at the tip of my fingers and it it was amazing it was really when that clicked in I, I remember that so distinctly actually From interacting with you and um, listening to your music, I really feel like you, and I want to know what what you feel about this, but it feels like you have like a really high emotional intelligence and that's able to like translate into your music really well. Like you're able to capture a mood um, like incredibly well, like you're energetic, you're the life of the party. And then in the next moment you can be reverence and create like a quiet vibe you know Mm. like you seem like somebody that like we can you know 
we can laugh and have a really wild time, but then we can actually like sit down and have a heart to heart. So how do you ride that line in your music between like high, high energy and then sort of like a more solemn vibe? Well, <laughs> that's really nice to hear you say, actually. Thank you. Um, let's just say I don't write too many hippity happy, happy songs. I, I write a lot of happy fiddle tunes. I feel like I channel all my like happy, like really, like I get all my like fun rah, energy out playing tunes. Like I'm constantly described as like fierce and fun. Like, cause I just- I Feisty. Love, feisty, oh my gosh, like totally. And I know like actually quick tangent on that. I was just doing shows with um, Laura Cortese, Okay, uh, Laura, the best, I'm the best. She's amazing. We were in Belgium in March, and this other fiddle player called Begonia, uh, who is from um, northern Spain, and the three of us, like on stage, we were just these three of like like proper feisty. Like, I mean, the number of times people came up after and were like fierce, fierce ladies. <laughs> <laughs> and I like I, I know I'm I know people describe me as that I know that people describe Laura as that and I know people describe the Ganya and the three of us together it felt so powerful and amazing there's no like light like br like maybe we could have like eased off a little bit but we we're all just like and here we go so anyway the point is <laughs> I love like getting really stuck into fiddle tunes and I love playing slow fiddle tunes but if I'm playing them like I like to put I feel like I throw all my emotion into it everything I do when I'm when mm -hmm. I'm playing I rarely will play and it's a, that's actually an interesting thing because I feel like if I've been playing with people and I haven't felt like I've really been in it afterwards I have a bit of a moment I'm like mm, what was going on there like I am ridiculously in touch with my emotions I think that is safe to say I definitely write in my diary every morning <laughs> and like talk about everything and like uh yeah I'm not I'm hopefully I'm not too much of an oversharer, but I'm like, I just like, my emotions are here. They're like right in front of me. They're, they're, they're there. They're not, there's no, I've worked, there's so much has happened in my life that I've like emotional stuff that I've, I've just learned to like, it's high up. It's not, it's not like, I don't bury stuff, um, mm -hmm. which I'm, I'm grateful for. I don't know where is that that's come from, but I am grateful that that's what it is. I mean, maybe it comes out in, I, I guess it comes out in my fiddle playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. and, and singing like, and, and my songs, like I'm, I, I don't, I kind of, I struggle to write. I'm like, I would say I am a happy person, but I, I really struggle to write super happy songs, uplifting. Like mm -hmm. I really, really do. Um, and it's such a cliche but I really do like I, 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 and I keep trying, I've, 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 I've made this pact with myself. I'm not going to make a pandemic record. That's all about murmur, murmur, murmur. But those are the songs that are coming out. So it probably will like at the end of next year, sure. you'll be hearing it. <laughs> but I, oh my um, gosh, you've had, you've had a lot to process though. That, the, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. And those songs have been written and I'm sure they'll keep getting written to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. There's stuff that, was coming up this morning that I was writing about and it's just yeah but I, f I almost feel like that's too soon to get out put out into the world that all mm -hmm. of that stuff but I think um yeah it's a yeah maybe maybe writing some more upbeat stuff would, and so I just like share the vibe a little bit more with the fiddle uh mm. i i gravitate towards i've just been really in the, the waltz game recently all these waltz. oh yeah the waltz game oh god <laughs> the waltz game i mean i just i'll be like this is a nice idea and i'm like it's a waltz again <laughs> gotta break the waltz the waltz mold <laughs> that's funny uh okay hannah let's talk politics oh gosh <laughs> So back in 2017, you were part of the supergroup Songs of Separation. You contributed fiddle, guitar, vocals. So this was a project created in the aftermath of the 2014 Scottish independence refer referendum. Referendum. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain what that is, first of all, and then I'll ask my actual question. So the referendum was 
when um, the Scottish ref this this specific one was when um, Scotland was trying to become, or many people in Scotland were trying to become to make it an independent country from England, and it mm-hmm. never it did not go through, as I'm sure you are aware, uh, and it remained as one. Um, but there was this project called Songs of Separation stemmed from that. And it was um, because there was a significant amount of turmoil between both countries at that time. Um, this musician called Jenny Hill, a bass player, she came, she's an English bass player, came up with the idea of bringing together five Scottish women and five English women and all of us coming together and making a record called Songs of Separation. Um, the band was called Songs of Separation. The album that we made was called Songs of Separation, but it ended up more being a project of togetherness. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was basically the idea, and it, it was, we did, we actually recorded on the Isle of Egg. So we were back up on the Isle of Egg um, and we had a week to write and record a full album with 10 women and an engineer um, and it was some job. I mean, I think it's incredible. I look back at that and I'm like, how on earth did we do that? With like full arrangements and um, everybody mm. came with some sort of an idea, whether it was a fully formed idea or just an idea they wanted to develop over the week. Um, uh, there was this amazing song called Soil and Soul, which was written by Rowan Rangans, who was one of the women on the in the group, who's an incredible musician from Sheffield. Um, and her and I have actually, we've made some recordings since that. We've done a lot of music together um, off the back of that. But she was one of the ones who brought this song, which Soil and Soul is the song, if anybody wants to hear a really beautiful song that was written about a book. I think the book is called Soil and Soul and it's about the history of the island of Egg where there was a lot of issues with separation and um, inner, there was there was a lot going, there is, actually a lot has been resolved on Egg now, but there was a lot of an intense uh, history on the island. There's actually a 60 minute special if anybody wanted to just get a, um, they came up to Egg. Oh, and I, d- I definitely want to watch that because I was like, just reading like a little bit about it. And then I was like, I could get seriously lost with like how much like turmoil and pillaging and violence that has happened on that little island. Right, so much has happened. Um, But yeah, that's- Like over the course of the last 2000 years. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, it's a lot as the island, it's incredible what's happened up there. But the 60 minute special, I mean, that was recorded like over 10 years ago and it's definitely dated, but it's, it's, I watched it the other day with my boyfriend and his granny and she was loving it. (laughs) In Alaska? In California. But but yeah, but yeah, it it was, yeah, it was a, (laughs) I was like, it doesn't quite look like that anymore. Like there's more buildings and, you know, people you know, it's, it it does feel dated, but anyway, it's worth watching. I really recommend it. Anyway, back to back to this project. Basically, um, my my what I brought to the, to the project was a Robert Burns poem that was all about this. It was it had a separation theme, and um, the amazing thing about that project was um, well, there were so many amazing things, but some of my idols, um, female musicians that I really had looked up to my entire life. Corrine Polwart, the Scottish singer-songwriter, um, who's just incredible. And Eliza Carthy, the English trad princess. Were mm-hmm. both <laughs> royalty, I should say. Yes, Martin's, definitely. Martin's daughter. Um, they were a part of it. And they had just been big like icons in my life. And I'd known Corrine for quite, for quite a few years, but to get to work together where we're all level playing fields. And it was just, it was really, really special. And so we made that album and um, the album, we actually won album of the year at the BBC Folk Awards in um, 2017. So that was, it had an amazing life, that project. And we headlined Cambridge Folk Fest and did a lot of really interesting um performances and collaborations with other artists and it was just a difficult project to 
as you can imagine, 10 women who are used to being the front women in their bands, the front person in their bands, suddenly being yeah. in a band as a, not as the front person. It was like, it was a very interesting dynamic to work with. All of us had our thing, you know, it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was a f fascinating project. And it's, it's been such an important thing for me in my career. And that was um, where off the back of that was how I ended up signing to the label that I'm on now. And I definitely, it, it was really, really important. I have a lot of um, massive, like, I'm just so thankful for them bringing me on for that. It was really cool. Your new album with Michael Starkey is Cross the Rolling Water, which came out in June of 2022. It's an album of old-time fiddle and banjo duets with Michael, who is an Edinburgh-based uh, banjo player. Mm -hmm. So you met at an Appalachian old-time session in Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. And as it goes, the moment they first struck up a tune together, there was an immediate <laughs> meeting of the musical minds. Um <laughs> So about Michael, it's said that Michael's mission as a musician is to keep things simple, clear melody lines underpinned by solid infectious rhythm. Mm. When you guys play together, what does his musicality allow for you to do? Like, I'm wondering, are you able to get like really insane with your fiddling? Do you feel like you're toning it down? Does it allow you to play with dynamics? I would say all of that. He's an a, he's a very adaptable musician, not in a, now this is how we're gonna play because this is how I want to play kind of way, more like he's just a super sensitive musician. And he's, we just really play with each other. We really play against each other. We like, we'll, we will play against each other and then we'll like, and for like to build tension and then we'll like, dip into these like moments where we're super locked in. It's like, it's a really special um, collaboration. I really love making music with Michael. And it was the way we met was playing at this session and there's not a lot of old time musicians in Scotland. And um, that was like the November, uh, right before the pandemic. And I met him and I was like, oh, this is cool that Michael lives in Edinburgh. Like to know that there's always this old time, cause he's basically, he's not on any social media. He doesn't have a, like, uh, he has a tiny little Nokia phone. Like, we can't, we, uh. he, he's like doing his thing and he's so legit and so amazing. He's been over and played loads of old time music down the East Coast here. And is like, he's just such a deep musician. And because he also doesn't play with that many people. So we just have this amazing, we, we've had this amazing opportunity to just get to make so much music together. And I just, yeah, I just love Love making music with Michael Starkey. He's so great. It must be annoying to text with him, though. Oh, we don't text. We can't text. I have to send him an email. Like, can we? Are you free to Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> like, I when I'm in the states, we, we've had it today. I was just like, I'm like, I need just one little question, but I'm like, I need to speak to you. Can we get on Zoom? <laughs> can't text. That's hilarious. Uh, but he can text. If Michael listens this, he's, he'll be like, I can text, but he just doesn't have an iPhone or a, a no smartphone. So he's... You he's, can't send him any pics. No pics. No. No pics. No. <laughs> I saw that you worked with Andy Monahan from Frightened Rabbit mm -hmm. um, on a collaboration called Early June, and this was in 2020. And I just would love to hear more about working with Andy... Um, your connection to Frightened Rabbit um, and also your experience with Scott. Mm -hmm. So um, the project is actually called Early July. Not to... Oh, what did I call it? Early June? I like early June. I do like early June. Early July. <laughs> I wrote down early July. Freudian I, I like, slip. I, not to, you know, sit here and correct you, Cindy. <laughs> Let's get it straight here. Yeah, so, um, totally. I need a fact checker. So Frightened Rabbit, for those of you who do not know, Frightened Rabbit have been one of the most well-known indie rock bands to have ever come out of Scotland. They're an incredible band. And I was a big fan for a while. Sadly, the lead singer, Scott Hutchinson, passed away in May, I think it was 2017? Or, or 2018. 18, May of 2018, mm -hmm. yeah. 
And, um, but I actually never met Scott and I was not friends with anybody in the band when they were a, a performing band. Um, I was very aware of them. We had many mutual friends, but we just never crossed paths. Um, their team were keen for the band to be working with folk and um, with other writers and just to be out playing and making music. And um, I was paired up with Andy for some writing. Um, we were linked up via some emails and I actually, the guys had all been sent my music and I was unaware of this. And Andy was the one that was like, oh, I would be interested in working with Hannah. So we like met up in New York, got on like a house on fire and we're like, right, let's, and a house yeah. on fire is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and then we just were like, right, why, why don't we just book out some dates at the beginning of next year? This was 20, yeah, 19. And let's go into the studio in Glasgow when I was over in Scotland and see what we came up with. So I went in not really knowing at all what we were going to do, but then we started doing this thing where we would write and record a song a day. So we would like, wouldn't leave the studio until the full production of the song was done. And it was just really, it was amazing to co-write with someone from a, diff a completely different world. It was like this amazing free feeling of like, all my like little like insecurities just went out the window and it was such a quick fire um, time in the studio of just like, why don't we try this? Why don't we try this? I'll put down synths. No, you put down synths. No, you sound better on synths. Let's do that. <laughs> and, like, I, like, and all these parts were flying around and it was so exciting. It was like this amazing thing, which I hadn't done. In, I don't in quite in, in that way. Like I had just made a, my solo album had just come out the year before, which was much, it was a special experience making that, but it was like a, mm -hmm. it was more of a tailored thing. It was much more tailored, much more thought out what, what we were doing, the arrangements, that whole thing. And this was like, there were arrangements, there are arrangements, but the songs were just like, all right. So that was like, yeah. I found, I remember taking the train back to Edinburgh from Glasgow after our first session and being like, oh my god that was so amazing <laughs> i felt alive like in a really amazing yeah. way i was like it was so fun i was like it was just really we were both playing like each other's instruments and it just felt really great so anyway over the next two years we made an album and the band is called early july and the record is actually going to come out next year we um <gasps> great yeah, yeah and i'm really excited about it um We've just been trying to figure out the best way to do it. We kind of wanted to wait until things had simmered down a little bit, as it seemed like mm. every every man and their dog released <laughs> an album this past year. <laughs> so we were yeah, like, let's yeah. just wait a second. Like, still love these songs. They still feel relevant. They were written pre-pandemic, so they're not about that. They're about other stuff. And let's just like, so it will come out. Yeah, we've not got the date. Mm. That's not, we're, we're sorting out a lot of the stuff right now. But so that's been a really fun thing to do um we played one show which was at celtic connections in glasgow just before the pandemic and it was amazing it was so fun like both of us just like totally going for it on electric guitars and and i'm i was playing a bunch of synth on the, i'm playing a bunch of synths on the record and like it was just oh it was so fun i mean we had, we had like key bass and well, like bass and drums but it was like if we get to play that stuff live which hopefully we will next year i'm like very excited about that project that's great i will be there and i will call the band by its correct name <laughs> no i'll get you to introduce early us. july early june <laughs> early june i mean july okay before i let you go let's do the lightning round yes yes all right, ah. oh, all right. here we go what was the first song you learned on the guitar say because I came pretty late to the guitar probably was Skinny Love, Bonnie Fair. <laughs> Time capsule. Uh, what is your karaoke song? Skinny oh. Love, Bonnie Fair. Oh no no no! It's uh, <laughs> it's it's Kiss Me, Sixpence, None the Richer. Ah, uh, great. Classic. What is your coffee order? Um, an oat milk cappuccino. Mm. Mm. Uh, first celebrity crush. Oh, mm, a tie. I would say probably between uh, Seth in the OC <laughs> and uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio in Romeo and Juliet. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Can't go wrong. 
And everyone in that film, actually. Everyone in that、oh. film. I mean,、yes. oh my goodness. Who is the nicest musician you've ever met? Mmm. God, it's difficult with all your pals being musicians. I, I would, know. You know, I would actually, the first person that pops into mind, I recently met、um, Kevin Burke, the fiddle player, for the first time. And I just remember being, this was at Celtic Connections in January, and I was like, this guy is so nice. Like, he had time for everybody that he was talking to. And for those of you who don't know, he's such an, such an absolute legend. And he's been on recordings I've been listening to my entire life. And he just was like the most egoless man. And it was really lovely. Mm. Mm -hmm. What was the first album you bought with your own money? <laughs> well, I think it was. It was I think it was probably the Spice Girls. <laughs> I was a big、this、Spice is, Girls fan. Big this is all lining、girl. up. Girl power all the way. <laughs> That movie is pretty good. Spice it's, World. It's a classic. Real. Very good film.、Stuff. Flying or Invisibility? Invisibility. This is the last one. Where's the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Alaska, Scotland, and India. That's not to sound,、mm -hmm. a, that's not a brag. That's not a brag, but they are all very, very, very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> very different, very different. South coast of、wow. India might take the. Yeah, I went there with my dad. It was a cool trip. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for talking to me. This was so fun. You have exceeded my expectations.、Um, and congratulations on the new duo album, and looking forward to. Seeing you again in person. Thanks. Thanks so much. This has been a right old grand time. Thanks, Cindy. This episode of Basic Vogue was produced by me, Cindy Howes. Alex Stanton composes our music. The Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network is where you can find all the episodes of Basic Folk. You can also search on the SiriusXM app for Basic Folk and find them all there. You can check them out at our website, basicfolk.com, or wherever you find podcasts. We'll talk to you next time you check it out, which is hopefully next week. Um, but it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Bye.